0: I'll give them one thing. The group that Rose mentioned that are maybe meeting now. If I wasn't a Christian, I would still come to church because of the many, many advantages that it is to be in a community like this. I remember one of my interns being... Sending him down to Queens during the Making Poverty History campaign because Christians hadn't really got that involved in the Students' Union. And I said, Get down in there, get involved, let's move into the neighbourhood. And down he went tentatively to this Making Poverty History meeting in the Students' Union with all the presidents of all the different groups. And he came back and said, How did that go? He says, It went great, I'm the chairman. I said, how did that happen? He said, well, I was the only one that's ever organized anything. Since I was 12, I was helping at youth clubs and doing things at different things, and they realized I was the only one who had the experience. My friend Andy Thornton always said that Christian musicians should be way ahead of everybody else because where else would you get a chance as a young teenager to perform publicly on a regular basis? if you weren't involved in youth bands and youth groups, etc, etc. So I'm kind of with them. And yet, what are they meeting about? I haven't spoken to Rose. We prayed out the back that God would thread the service together. But I wanted to read about that same kind of empty faith. You can't depend on intelligence. You can't depend on God. You can only depend on one thing. You need a busload of faith to get by. You can depend on the worst always happening. You can depend on a murderer's drive. You can bet that if he rapes somebody, there'll be no trouble having a child. You need a busload of faith to get by. You can't depend on the goodly hearted. The goodly hearted made lampshades and soap. You can't depend on the sacrament. No father, son... Or Holy Ghost. You can't depend on any churches unless there's real estate you want to buy. You can't depend on a lot of things. You need a busload of faith to get by. It's dark, a bit empty. Lou Reed passed away last Sunday night. That's one of my favourite Lou Reed songs because of the phrase, you need a busload of faith to get by. But once you start reading the verses, you realise what is it? That you're putting your faith in. To come and sing songs or have a meditation or some inspiring talk. What? Where is there an interruption of a transcendent? Where is there something to have faith in? A busload of faith in what? And in some ways that's a seamless way into today's passage at the end of John chapter 4. I have to confess as the, the preacher that the first part of John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, I could preach in that for weeks. This last wee bit has been a wee bit more of a trudge in trying to find what's going on in this and why John's editorial that we've been looking at very carefully in our series in John picks, putting this where it is, etc, etc. Jesus has been in Samaria for a couple of days. His subversive smashing up of the political, religious, and social norms that we looked at last week has yielded a little community of faith and believers. Echoing, of course, those words from chapter 1 that we remember from, well, now know, almost a couple of months ago. He came to his own, but his own did not recognize him, as in the Jewish people. But Jesus is already showing that the Samaritans are going to get it before his own people get it. But what is going down here in this little passage, in this little story of this royal official? It's not the same as the Roman centurion. It's a royal official, one of Herod's probably. It's not just a slant on that other story. There's something going on here that drew me actually to later on in the gospel that we'll come to as we journey on. A verse that's really important to me when Jesus met with Thomas and he said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Are you have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me yet have believed. And maybe in my own thinking, because it wasn't coming from any of the many commentaries I read, maybe one of John's intentions, of course, in general in his gospel, is that he's trying to communicate the person of Jesus, to people who will never have had a chance to experience any of Jesus' miracles or ever have seen Jesus. Maybe that's why he comes to this interesting sort of back and forward with Jesus, the royal official, and the crowds here as he goes back to Canaan, where, of course, Canaan of Galilee was where the first sign was done of the water into wine in chapter 2. And this says this is the second sign but he's done all kinds of other signs in Jerusalem in between. What I'm saying, John's intentions here. But if we think of what has happened as we've gone on our journey, there's this debate. Sorry, we'll we'll go into the debate first. There's this debate going on because they come to Jesus. This man comes to Jesus from probably 20 miles away in Capernaum. And he hears that Jesus is back in Galilee so his son's not well, and he races down to meet Jesus because he's thinking, I've heard about this Jesus guy. I've heard he can do things. Maybe he's the very person that can help in this situation that I'm in. The crowds have gathered around as well because it tells us in the, in the passage that the crowds have seen Jesus doing all kinds of things in Jerusalem. Now, the Galileans, culty, rural, northern bumpkins. I'm proud To be from Balaamena. That kind of person. They've been out in the fields with the sheep. And and Slimish and all that kind of thing. Some of us know all about that. And uh, the Galileans are not too keen on the ones down. in the whole Jerusalem, Judea thing. But they've been down as Jesus was down. And they've seen Jesus do many things. One of which of course was that situation in the temple. So these Galileans who think that actually the Jews down in Jerusalem. Are a little bit above themselves. And maybe look down on them. Because you remember Peter's accent betrayed him as a bit of a country bumpkin. He was looked down on in that very moment when all of that was going on. So the Galileans have that kind of issue. And they've seen Jesus shudder the foundations of the centers of power. And they've liked that. Because Herod and his minions, linked with the chief priests and all those guys, are putting it on the poor little Galileans. So maybe they've seen Jesus doing stuff and they're thinking, we're going to get a bit of action here because he's been down there shaking Herod's foundations. Here's Herod's royal official coming to dare ask him to do something. Let's see if Jesus will do something here. That may have been going on. But the other thing, of course, that Jesus hits them right on is this show us signs, show us wonders. Go on, do us a trick. Show us some of your miracles. And Jesus wants to cut right through that. He wants to say, you're not going to follow me on your agenda, on your demands, and some sensationalist tabloid miracle that I might do for you. There's more to it than that. In the temple, there was more to it than the religious systems or the economic ups and downs. Nicodemus, there was much more to it than the traditions of the religion of the Jews, because they needed birth from above that we were thinking about with James and Thomas and Lewis in their baptism this morning. The Samaritan woman, well, it was more than for God in Samaria; it was for God and His glory alone. And here, these Galileans have to get that it's about more than just a miracle worker or somebody who can do spectacular things, because underneath all of those things, temple systems. Religious ways. All the different things that people were putting their trust in. Jesus wanted to get them all unwrapped so that they might see just him. Just him. What is it we put our faith in? What is it that we trust in? What is it that the Galileans were going to put their trust in? What was it that Herod's royal official was going to put his trust in? What if Thomas, James, and Lois put their trust in? What if James, Pierce, Sophie, Sarah, and Rachel put their trust in? What is this faith? Do we need a busload of faith? A busload of faith in what? Why are we different than the group that meets without God? What is it that we are going to trust in? The crowd is looking for sensation and miracles. Nancy Gibbs, Time Magazine, has said, For the truly faithful, no miracle is necessary. For those who doubt, no miracle is sufficient. Wonderful commentary on this. For the truly faithful, no miracle is necessary. For those who doubt, no miracle is sufficient. When we get past Jesus' rebuff, in keeping with that thing that John does at the wedding as well, it's not my time, woman. Why are you asking me? He seems to rebuff this man again. Unless you people see signs and wonders, he told him. But do you notice, unless you people see signs and wonders, he told him. This rebuke wasn't just directed, and maybe not directed at all, at the royal official. It was directed at the crowds who were wide-eyed waiting for another miracle. Oh, we'd be able to tell our friends what this guy is going to do. Jesus challenges the need for the sensational and looks for the more genuine and ordinary faith. Thinking about this all week and having done a wedding on Tuesday up in Rain. I couldn't help find an illustration for this, if you don't mind. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to work out the difference between those who are looking for the miracles and the wonders and the royal official who finally just takes Jesus' word, at his word, you're somewhere. Maybe you've been in this situation. Something's happening in your family. And you find maybe an answer to it. And you head 24 miles or 20 miles to get to this guy. And you want him to do something for you. So you're wanting him to come the 20 miles back to Capernaum to do it. And he says, I'm not going to go. You just go. It's all sorted. He's alive. Now, how are you feeling as you make that journey back? 20 miles walking to ponder, was he really? Is it really? Will he be all right? Will my son be alive? The royal official takes Jesus in his word doesn't come back and say, no, no, please come with me just to be sure. He heads off. Crowd's looking for miracles. One guy takes Jesus at his word. I want to take a marriage illustration. Hollywood, and this is an illustration, by the way, that's really important for marriage in the 21st century as much as it is for faith in this passage because I have got great concerns about the ability for marriages to hold together in the generation that we're in. And Hollywood has a lot to blame for that because Hollywood has gooey wooed, my own phrase, my girls hate it. I make up words all the time. And gooey wooed was one I thought might just fill some sort of void here. Hollywood has gooey wooed love. It's now just about romance. It's actually mostly about the physical gratification of that, and we're looking for that feeling that all movies give us when we're in our relationships with our fiancés, our boyfriends, girlfriends, or our husbands or our wives. Think of the illustration I was using this week from Bruce Almighty. Bruce gets all the powers of God. What does he do with the powers of God? Does he cause his fiancée grace? Not his fiancée, actually. She wants to be his fiancée. Um, Does 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 he he want to get grace a better life or a better relationship with him? No. He takes this gift of being able all the powers of God to lasso the moon. To bring it slightly closer. To have a more romantic night with his woman. It's about feeling. It's about the moment. It's about the buzz and the thrill. Whereas those of us who are involved in marriage... Know that it's not like that every moment of every day in a marriage. And if that's what we expect when we go into a marriage, there's no chance of a marriage being maintained. And that's the problem that this generation has, because this generation, it's about the feeling and what I might get out of it and my agenda. Whereas love in the story of Bruce Almighty is turned around at the end. Because at the end, when Bruce is struck with a truck, and he stands before God, and God says to him, Say a prayer for grace, grace being very important in the whole deal with the film, the whole theological clout of it. He says, What do you pray for grace? At the end, after conversion, he doesn't pray that he would get grace. He prays that grace would find somebody who would love grace the way grace deserved to be loved. He's moved from lassoing the moon for his own gratification and agenda to loving the other in the most ordinary and loving kind of way. So what does that got to do with this passage? Well, there's many of us who want God to do the miracles. Even in our own lives, to get rid of the habits that we have like that, there are many events that will happen even today in Belfast, where people will look for that spectacular immediate impact shows do. Whereas what God's looking for in faith is that more trusting, taking God at His word and living a life that's not about feelings or sensation, but is about commitment, obedience, and trust. A pseudo-faith that wants the sensational will need the sensational all the time. A faith that says, in a little bit of bread and a little sip of wine, somehow in these ordinary things, we will be cleansed, refreshed, equipped to live a life of faith, that, to me, is the faith that Jesus is looking for in the passage. And the faith that he finds from the royal official. He just does. The miracle workers are the ones with the agenda. The royal official surrenders to Jesus. That's the way you want to do it. I trust that that's the way it's going to be. And I will just do as you say and go back in that trust. So, as James and Thomas and Lewis are baptized this morning, what are they trusting in? What is their faith in? As James and Pierce and Sarah and Rachel and Sophie come for the first time to this table, what are they trusting in? Is it sensationalism? Or a God who can do tricks? Or is it just putting into practice those things that they've learned as they've grown up in Sunday schools and youth groups and evolve, and as they've talked through their faith with Graham and the communicants classes, as they've watched faith lived out in their own homes? It's just following those words committing themselves to those things. To me, my convincing is, and I said it this week at this marriage, if we just take the vows and live them, I believe that's the recipe to fall more into love. If love's just a feeling that we want to have, then it will collapse. If for you guys you're looking for some sensational feeling about God every day, I think it's going to collapse. But if you just live out the promises that you took in very ordinary ways to commit to God, then I believe you will, like the royal official, find your faith deepening as God fulfills his part of the promise, interrupts your life with this grace, and helps you to grow in faith to contribute to the world around you. I couldn't help come back to an old, old illustration that's so old our five new communicants will never have heard it. It's about Blondin the tightrope walker. Now this summer I was reading about Philippe Petit, my French. When I did my role, my teacher said, that was really good. And I got a U. (laughs) How bad was the rest of my French paper? I can only imagine. But Philippe Petit, who in 1974 somehow got up one of the Twin Towers. Now, this is the question. How do you get up one of the Twin Towers? We had problems getting this water warm today. Try this one, Graham. Go up the Twin Towers and throw a piece of rope to the other Twin Tower when it was there and then get it tied. How does that work? And the whole book that Colin McCann writes in this new novel, that's one of the questions. How did he do that? And then he got out onto this tightrope. No health and safety, Eileen. The police don't even know it and suddenly people look up and there's this guy walking between the Twin Towers and the police then have to get him off there because it's illegal. But how do you get him off there? Because if you go up to that window and scare him, the novel's interesting. Let the world spin. Call him a calm. I'm not getting a percentage. But it took me back to Blondin. Blondin did the Niagara Falls. Walking across a tightrope above the Niagara Falls. He wheeled a wheelbarrow on a tightrope Across, above, the Niagara Falls. Now this might then go into evangelical Christian speak. Forgive me, but it's a good illustration. Blondin goes right across the Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow. And the crowds are going crazy. Because they're American crowds, they like going crazy. And he says, do you believe Blondin could push this wheelbarrow back across the Niagara Falls in this tightrope? And everybody's going crazy. Of course you could. Do you believe that Blondin could put somebody in the wheelbarrow and push them across the tightrope across Niagara Falls? Yes, of course you could, and you know what's coming. Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? I think that is what was happening in this scene at the end of John 4. You can do all kinds of miracles, you can do all kinds of things. Well, take me up my word and walk 20 miles back home and it'll be sorted. Somebody get into the wheelbarrow and we don't know what happened to the rest of the crowds. Guys, you have taken these promises and now you're going to come to this bread and this wine and it's a bit like a wheelbarrow. God's saying, do you believe I can take you in the rest of your journey? Then get in. Be ready for the ride, but trust in me in very ordinary daily ways. And as you fulfill these vows I will grow a faith within you that will come to a harvest as you serve this church sadly probably other churches and the rest of the world by keeping these promises that you take. Don't ask and demand from God signs. In God's agenda follow him at his word. Let's pray. God we've all made vows we've made vows at the baptism of our children we've made vows at our marriage we've made vows as we've come to membership of churches we've made vows as we've become elders or ministers different times in our lives we've taken these vows Lord they have not been just liturgies to change our status into membership of church or into marriage or into Place of leadership. They are vows. And so we pray, Lord, that we would all renew our vows today and realize that actually faith is just in an everyday, ordinary way deciding to keep those vows. And that whatever it is that we've taken the vows into, that will be transformed and changed and will grow as we just take you at your word and seek the interruption of your grace to help us to fulfill those vows. As we come to this table, as we take this bread and wine, may we renew all our vows and live our lives this week at your word with faith to trust, that your grace will help us to fulfill these vows and lead us into life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.